I guess the sermon, I guess maybe for the most part, or part of part anyhow, is about the Bible today and the way we see it. God seems to be in the business of equipping us as born-again believers on how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to think, And essentially that boils down to one simple thing. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to think like Jesus. One of my hardest jobs is trying to convince people that as a born-again believer with the indwelling Holy Spirit that was put in you by God when you came to believe, that we have the same power that Jesus had. We can do the same things he did if God asked us to do it. Because the same power that was in him that raised him from the dead is in me and you. And all it takes is for God to give us the assignment to do something and we can do it. A couple of weeks ago, We were talking about not letting things of the world, those things used by Satan, to try to pull us away from God's purpose for us with him. And there's a scripture we didn't use. And the thing, the, the point I want to make, this book right here is a little bit scary to some folks, I'll say. I've had so many people tell me, well, it's hard for me to understand that. But let me say this to you. It's thick, I know that. It's got a lot of words. And if you get the right one or the whichever one you get, there's some of them that are written in the King's English of 1600 and whatever. But this book only has about 20 ideas in it. Please understand that. 20 ideas that God is trying to get across to humans. But he teaches it in 4,000 ways. That's the reason the book's so thick. So that everybody, regardless of how you think or whatever, might be able to touch with the method he's using so you can understand those 20 things he's trying to teach. And he tries to teach them over and over and over and over story after story. And he's teaching it in the context of humans, us. So we can see how God works with us. But in Luke chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. But in Luke chapter 12, in verse 15, And he said unto them, this is Jesus, Take heed and beware of covetousness. That's wanting something you don't really need. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That is the thing that Satan used to distract us away from Christ. It's things. You know, things. 
cars, houses, clothes, that, that's the kind of things he's talking about. But he tells us in another place, if we seek the kingdom of heaven first, then he'll add all these things to us. And we won't have to be concerned about them. Then last week, we talked about Satan being able to live in our minds along with the Holy Spirit. And I made the comment a couple of weeks ago that I didn't believe that could be. And I tried to show last week why I believe that. But it says that in another place too in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Be careful on contracts that you sign with people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. It might obligate you to do some things that Christ would not want you to be involved in. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? He's making several comparisons there. And what concord hath Christ with Satan, with Belial, another name for Satan? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel, with an unbeliever. In other words, really and truly what he's saying here, you don't have anything in common with them. You need to be particular how you deal, you deal with them. And don't put yourself in a place of obligation to a man who doesn't have the Holy Spirit who might be your boss man and order you to do something that God wouldn't want you to do. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, we'll, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's about as personal as you can get. We said at the start about three weeks ago, I wished I'd realized how important something was. And they asked Jesus what was the most important commandment that it was in the book. And he said to love your God with all your mind, your heart, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the two things. In my mind, the Holy Spirit was telling me to try to treat everybody like they were better than me. That's a hard thing to do. It starts out with respect. That is something the country has, has lost a great deal of. Nobody respects anybody else. Nobody respects authority, or not very many. And so many people don't even respect themselves to put themselves in a place on TV looting or stealing or whatever, or to place their thoughts to where so many people can understand what they're all about on something like Facebook or something like that. So we start out with respect for each other. Now turn to Ephesians, if you will, chapter 2. We'll go back to a 
verse that has been preached a good bit in here, or this past series of passages has. And I want to show you how some folks have trouble trying to figure out exactly what the Bible is saying. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how that before we were saved, we were slaves of the devil. We had to do what he wanted us to do. But God, it says, came in on that scene and saved us. And now we belong to him. And there's a little verse here that's the simplest thing in the whole world. You've read it a hundred times, I know at least, if you've read your Bible any. But when you open it up, you can't get much nutrition out of a can of beef stew if you don't have a can opener, can you? You've got to open it up and partake of it before you can get the real value of it. And so many times we read through the Bible and, and, and pass over stuff that if we knew exactly what it was saying, it would mean a whole lot more to us. And that's what I'm going to try to do this morning with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, And you hath he quickened or made alive. That's the word, the word they used in 1600 for quickened made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now see, that's, that's it. That's the scripture for this morning. He has made us alive, and his word here is spiritual. That's what he's talking about. The Jews, if you didn't understand how they taught, sometimes it was hard to understand. You, has he brought to life spiritually, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now the word dead doesn't mean that our heart had stopped beating. That's another one of the ways that Jews taught. And this, is, this book was written by Jews. And the dead, that word dead here that he's using, is not that you're, you're not breathing or your heart not beating. You were dead spiritually. That means you were separated from God. We've said before that we were all born enemies to God. And Proverbs says, if you leave those children like you got them, they'll grow up to shame their mama. We have to change them. We have to change them. And God is the biggest way that a person can be changed is to be born again and believe in him. And you hath he quickened or made alive spiritually who were dead, separated from God because of trespasses and sins. It says in Isaiah there is one thing that God will turn his head away from you for. One thing. And that's for your sin. God's not going to help you if you're going to insist on sinning. Now there's some interesting things here about these two words sins and trespasses. So let's see what they say. Let's, let's take sin first. A definition of the noun 
sin is when we're overstepping the law, the divine boundary between good and evil. We vary from our path that we're following Jesus all the way into heaven. And we get sidetracked. We cross the line between good and evil. That's sin anytime we do that. The verb of sin, the action word, is to do a thing inherently wrong, whether it is forbidden or not. Now that's an interesting thing. That is the problem that the Old Testament believers had. They had the Ten Commandments. And they had Moses' law, there's 500 of them. To tell people how to keep from sinning. But what they were supposed to have to do was written down. They could read it and remember it. Thou shalt not steal. That's pretty easy to figure out. There's no interpretation there. Thou shalt not kill or murder. There's no interpretation there. They had it written down. But see, what this actually means is if I cross over the line from doing good to doing evil, whether I do it willfully or accidentally, it's still held against me. That's the reason for all of us as Christians to learn exactly what God said is good and exactly what he said is evil. But there's some other things I found out after I got grown. There's some things, I mean, when I talk the Bible, I teach what the Bible says. But there's some things that the Bible says is okay for people to do that God doesn't want me to do. And he made that plain to me. I know what I said, but you I'm dealing with differently. I don't want you doing that. And I did it anyhow. And I suffered. So that's the reason he's saying here, whether it's forbidden or not, we suffer from doing wrong things, whether we know it or not. So we need to know what is right and what is wrong. And for that, we have to depend sometimes on preachers and Bible teachers if we don't spend a great deal of time in the book ourselves. And as Paul and John both said, false teachers are in the world. They came in the world from the time that Jesus died till today. And they're spewing out wrong information. So we have to be careful that we confirm everything that's really wrong is really wrong. Because preachers take a lot of liberties with what they say is wrong. They tell us that God doesn't want us doing this and doesn't want us doing that. And he never said anything about it. So we have to be careful what we call wrong and what we call right. We've got a godly conscience. We studied about that a while back. That when God comes in and we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves into us, but it takes over our conscience too. What mama and daddy didn't do to build our conscience, 
what our mentors didn't do to build our conscience, the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit gets the, the help from the conscience. And many a time, the conscience is in on when the Holy Spirit throws up a caution flag in our mind and says, you better be careful about going where you're going. The conscience is jumping in there too and saying, you know better than to do this. So while the conscience is really bugging us, sometimes even making us sick because of something we're doing, the Holy Spirit is throwing up that caution flag saying, be careful, be careful, be careful. And when you see that, it's time to slow down. It's like a caution light blinking. I mean, anybody with any sense sees one of those that are intersecting, they're going to back off the accelerator a little bit and slow down because there's a bigger chance there that something's liable to happen than it is on the open road. I had to learn something when I first started teaching. It was in 1979. I was 37 years old before I learned that I had the gift of teaching and started teaching. And God made me aware of that. Well, the first few years I tried to teach, I ran into some obstacles. But the one thing that I had already learned is that my Holy Spirit will stop me from doing something that God doesn't want me to do. And I tell you, I have been standing in front of people in a, in a class teaching the Scriptures and have somebody raise their hand and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what you just said, I'm not sure that's right. What do you mean? Well, back over here, over here it says this. <laughs> and it was a scripture I'd never heard before. And I thought to myself, here I am teaching this for the truth, and that's in there too. So I started at that point, about a year after I started teaching, and I made sure that everything that was said about a subject in the Bible, I knew where it was and put it on a sheet before I'd ever bring it to you because I didn't want to have my hand called that quick. It wasn't necessarily a thing about being wrong. It was that God says, if you teach it wrong, I'll put a curse on you. Too many people that stand before others and explain God's ways don't understand about that. Because you can get in a real serious trouble saying one word out of whack, getting one person to stumble on his way to Jesus. There have been times when I was teaching, haven't been one, thank God, since I've been preaching. But when I was teaching, I'd say something, and all of a sudden, I couldn't go on. I'd have to stop. And I'd have to stop and just tell the people, I've got to stop and pray for forgiveness because I've said something that God didn't appreciate, didn't approve of. I didn't know what it was. But when I asked him for forgiveness and I went on and he never told me what it was. Something I did wasn't to his liking. It says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 17, God was speaking to Jeremiah and he says, I called you to preach from the womb. And two places in the first chapter of Jeremiah, if sometimes just if you're reading, you want to go there and see what he says. He says, 
when you are telling people in a group what I have told you to tell them, if you look at their faces to see how they're going to take what you're saying, I'll make you stutter. He said, don't look at their faces. Don't let that be influence of what you say and what you don't say. You say what I tell you to say and don't look at anybody. Now there's another word in here. And this might be the one that's a little bit harder for us to understand. Is this thing of trespasses. It's our sins and our trespasses that keep us separated from God. The word trespass, the Bible definition, it's a verb to trespass, is the intrusion of self-will into the sphere of divine authority. Is the intrusion of self-will into the sphere of divine authority. Trespassing, biblically, is insubordination. <laughs> it's going where you're not supposed to go. I don't know whether you, as a kid, I know there are times when I've crossed over a fence to go after a squirrel I'd shot that wasn't quite dead yet and get on the other side and run into trespassing signs and realize I've crossed the fence on a place that's got trespassing signs everywhere and I didn't see them. The question is, when we find ourselves in that place, how, how, how much trouble do we give to try to get back to where we're okay? I've run to crawl back across the fence to keep somebody from finding out I was in a place I wasn't supposed to be. I had one fellow threaten to shoot me one time. <laughs> if it hadn't been for my buddy, he probably would have. This fellow's about half crazy. I didn't know I was on his, his land. But that's what trespassing is about. It's about being where you're not supposed to be. Now, in terms of spirituality, let me see if I can show you what that means. It's willful or intentional also. When you climb across the fence, whether you know it's posted or not, you're breaking God's law for being where you're not supposed to be. The particular thing that he's talking about is getting sidetracked off of that way to heaven face to face with Jesus Christ. And our path sometimes is like that. And we can get sidetracked. Now, y'all know something about sidetracks. They're built off the main line of the railroad. The railroad is built, the main line is to get you, get a train to where it's supposed to go, its destination. But they're sidetracks. They're sidetracks to go to other places, to manufacturing places. They're sidetracks to get the train out of the way so another more important train can come through. Now, some of those sidetracks are like down here four or five miles down the road where a train can go through and can come off the main line where another train can go either 
south or north by that train, and it comes back into the main track a little further up the way. But there are other side tracks that's got a big, a big structure built at the end of them that will not allow you to go any further. And when you get to one of those, the only way you can get back on the main road is to back up and back back on the main line. That takes time, and it takes aggravation. I've got written by Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, let no man spoil you with vain deceit, with the traditions of men, with philosophy, with the rules of the world, and not after Jesus. The main thing we're after here is Jesus. And I've got written by that scripture in my Bible, sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. And we allow ourselves to get sidetracked sometimes not even knowing that's where we are. When I was a kid, we lived five blocks from Main Street in Montevallo. So I got up so old, if there was a movie on at night, Daddy would let me and my little brother walk to the movie. And sometimes they were over after dark. And I had to walk back home in the dark with my brother. And one thing he cautioned us about that I can remember so severely was stay on the sidewalk. <laughs> Don't cut across somebody's backyard. Well, why, Daddy? Don't take any shortcuts. You stay on that sidewalk because somebody's liable to shoot you for being where you're not supposed to be. That's the way people thought 60 years ago, 70 years ago. They don't think that now. People walk all over your property not concerned at all about somebody blowing their head off with a shotgun. But that's what he's talking about here. You stay where you're supposed to stay because if you get in a place where you're not supposed to be, you can get in trouble. Now let's look. Let me establish this. It's like I said, this is a little bit of, of a different deal. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, you don't have to turn there, it's the place where Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. That is a fact. God gave Jesus Christ the say-so with everything on the earth and in heaven, and he said under the earth. Jesus has got the total authority. Any authority that's on this earth has to be barred from Jesus because it's all given to him. If you're a father and you have authority over your family, over your wife, you got it from Jesus. You got to do it like Jesus wants you to do it. If you're on a company and you got people hired and you're in authority, you're supposed to direct that authority to them the way Jesus tells you to do it. And there's in Colossians, in Ephesians, there's places all over that tells you how to do that too. How to be a boss man. How to be a father. How to use authority. But the big point I'm trying to make is all authority belongs to Jesus first. 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 20 says, Ye are bought with a price. Your body and spirit belong to God. 
Now please understand that. Jesus, with his blood, because you are a sinner, you belong to Satan, you are a slave of Satan, you belong to him, Jesus, with his blood, bought you from belonging to Satan, and now we belong to him. And he paid a price for us. The word servant in so many places in the King James Version of the Bible is really the word slave. We're a slave to Jesus because he bought us. We're owned by him. And he has all authority. So that's making the point he can tell us anything he wants to tell us. And we are supposed to be obedient to him like he was to the Father. It says in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 15 that Jesus ever lives to intercede through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Jesus is sitting up there on the throne on the right hand of God forever meddling in your business and my business. Sometimes we ask him to, sometimes we don't, but he still does it. Why? Are you a father? Are you a mother? Don't you know you have expectations for your children? Don't you meddle in their business whether they ask you to or not? <laughs> it's a right of authority that we have. And Jesus is doing that for us. Now in John, Jesus says, I want to be your friend. I'm no longer your master. I want to be your friend. But I'm going to tell you something else, that being a child of God, being born again, being a Christian, being saved, all those words, the same thing. Not only does he want to be our friend, he says he tells us everything. He says a, a, a slave is not told everything by his master. He's just told what to do. But you guys, he said, I've told everything. So really and truly, you're not really my slave. I want you to be my friend. But there's something else that goes along with that salvation. It's a kinship. We're kin to Jesus now. And not only that, we take on his divine nature. We get to be like him. That's the thing that creates in us a new creation, a new person, a new man. And that's what brought up the fight I preached about the last couple of weeks in us. When Jesus comes with his Holy Spirit inside of us, he tries to change us from the old man that we were, and the old man that we were is still in us, and there's a fight going on in there between the new man and the old man. The war that we're constantly in is not the war out here, even though Satan, who is the prince of the world, is the one that's in charge of that, that awful bunch. The fight's inside. It's inside of us. And it's for us to make a choice which way we go. And that is the fight. Now when we choose to live any part of our life without asking God for direction and waiting for the answer, we're trespassing on God's place of authority. Now I'm going to say that again. 
This is what the word trespass, that means sin, actually means in that little scripture with only two lines. Trespassing is when we make up our own mind about what we're going to do with our lives. And by that, I mean, it's on, with me, it's a daily basis. Every decision I have to make, I want God to, to rubber stamp it. I want God to say, this is what I want you to do. I've got a little sticky note in my bathroom on the mirror. It says, God, please guide me through this day. I don't want to forget that. And every time I go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, I see that sign up there that says, God, please guide me through this day. And I ask him about everything I'm supposed to do, and you would be surprised some of the things he won't let me do. What's wrong with that, Lord? I mean, that's an innocent thing. I mean, I wouldn't even thought about it. No, 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 I don't want you doing it. Okay. Okay. But that is the meaning of trespassing. Our trespasses in sin. Now, sin, and we read it as two words that probably mean the same, but they don't. We actually sin by trespassing when we attempt to run our own lives with our own minds. And without seeking God's direction in every move we make, without even knowing about it. Some of us don't. And I didn't know about it for years because no preacher and Sunday school teacher ever taught it to me. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. But if you go back and read the four Gospels the way Jesus did, I mean, he's constantly going off in the wilderness, going off by himself to pray and ask God, what am I supposed to do about this? And Jesus, it said, was given authority over everything for one reason, because he was 100% obedient to God. So if we want to have a complete blessed life, that's the way we got to live it. Under obedience to God. On everyday things. I'm not talking about church things or spiritual things or whatever. Because in the life of a Christian, everything is spiritual. So if we want to please God, we got to ask Him about everything. And then wait till He tells us what to do. We'll never go wrong doing that. So we go back. And you hath he made alive who were dead, separated from God, in trespasses and sins. But Brother Joe, I really didn't know about that. Well, to tell you the honest goodness truth, for a long time, I didn't know about it either. But when I found out about it, it got to be really, really important. I've had people, church people, tell me, well, you know, my grandma told me that God gave you a brain, you're supposed to use it. And I've learned to answer them, yes, he did give you a brain, and he expects you to use it, but he says in his Bible that your brain's not any good. <laughs> if you don't listen to me, you're going to mess up using your own brain because your heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart, your mind, your thinking process of you and me will lie to you, the Bible says. 
You can't depend on it. And Jesus is not a liar. The Holy Spirit's not a liar. They've never told one lie. So who would you depend on? Yourself and your own reasoning? He says in one place, don't think anymore like the Gentiles do in the, in the reasoning of their mind. Don't reason things out. Because so many things that Jesus does is beyond reason. If you owed money, who would tell you to go down and catch a fish and there'd be a coin, a gold coin in the fish's mouth? That, you can't reason that stuff out. So that's another list, another thing that goes on the list of things that we need to put on our list to be the kind of Christians and the children of God that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us the, what the words mean, that we can get a clear understanding of what one little simple two-sentence verse means and understand what you're talking about. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.